0: Hi there, this is Kent Roundy with uh, Jamin Hemingway, a fourth year medical student from Rocky Vista University. We're at USH Med student and glad to have you here. (laughs) Always good to be here. Thank you. Uh, Just so that uh, we can kind of cover some ground that we didn't cover as much with the big crowd we had last week, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how you ended up in psychiatry and where you're going from here. Yeah, so I started out
1: thinking that I would go into family medicine, maybe emergency. Uh, The school gave us a personality test and it said family, ER, and psych. And I remember thinking, psychiatry, that's not even on my list, that's really weird. Um, But as soon as I started seeing patients, I found that I liked the psychiatry patients a lot more. I felt more rewarded with their wins. Um And, you know, I would see some of our patients would come in crying and all the MAs would get upset and, oh, they're upsetting all the other patients by crying in the lobby. And that was the patient I was excited to see today. It didn't bother me at all, it was, um, it's what I wanted to see. So it kind of came about by accident, but at this point I'm, I'm all in on psychiatry. <laughs> Be kind of hard to change
0: right now, right? <laughs> it would be tough. Now. I mean, it's possible, but you're in it a little bit. <laughs> well, good. It's interesting because I'm, I'm always fascinated by how many choices are in medicine and how it's a great profession to find something that really fits, right? Even though that four-year investment's kind of scary and you wonder if you'll find what you love at the end of it. I'm always amazed at how everybody finds something that is just a great fit for them. Glad you found psychiatry. Me too. I think it's a, a better fit than anything I've seen. So. I'm glad to hear that. On that note, uh, topic today is uh, borderline personality disorder. Tell me how you came across this. What, what was it that spurred your interest in talking about borderline personality disorder?
1: Yeah, so before I came here, I was at an inpatient facility for teen girls with borderline personality disorder in Hurricane, Utah. And so it was interesting to see, they were doing a lot of treatments I'd never heard of. Um, I don't think I'd ever heard the word dialectical dialectical behavioral therapy until that rotation. Um, so that's kind of what started me down it. I didn't know much else about it because it's not, for the shelf all you need to know is borderline, that's the treatment, right, DBT. <laughs> you don't need to know anything else other than that. Um, and so I want to dive in, what does this mean? How common is this? Um, Do we see it more? Outpatient, inpatient, and some of these other questions.
0: You sent me a number of articles. Um, One article was a Cochrane review of 550 pages. 549 pages, something (laughs) like that. I have to admit, I didn't make it all the way through that. No one ever has. (laughs) I don't know about it. It seems like it's incredibly well written. It's very very thorough and very organized. And um, in many ways, it inspired me to be better at understanding the way that the Cochrane reviewers describe what they're seeing in an article. I felt comfortable with uh, a great deal of the language, but, um, you know, there were some things I was busily, busy Googling as I was reading this, okay, wait a minute, what is this ROB? And, you know, and then you find articles about iterator reliability in the way that it's judged by the Cochrane group. And when that own, their own tool is used on them, I think there was an article by a physical therapist, they said, yeah, when we use your tool, we don't find that there's iterator reliability, so we're not sure you're good at this. I was like, ah, my head's spinning. So enough of the rabbit holes. Um, let's talk about the diagnosis. So you mentioned the most important thing on the shelf exam in the vignette, is knowing that dialectical behavioral therapy tends to be the therapy of choice mm-hmm. for treatment of borderline personality disorder.
1: The other buzzword that I think is on every question on uh, borderline is going to be splitting. Mm-hmm. They may not use the word splitting, but if they say the doctors are all horrible and the nursing staff is all magical, you should be immediately thinking,
0: This borderline. may be descriptive of borderline personality mm-hmm. disorder. So, let's talk about the criteria of borderline personality disorder because the STEM is going to require that you understand those distinctions, right, between Mm -hmm. this and maybe a different kind of condition. So, tell me, tell me how you would view the diagnosis from the perspective of a medical student that has taken the shelf exam.
1: Yeah. So, they're going to make it pretty clear. I mean, if there's any voices or something, you're going to that, right? If there's any, there's up all night, you're going to a manic episode. Um, but it takes five out of nine criteria to be diagnosed with borderline. They're probably gonna put splitting because that's kind of unique to borderline. Um, but the other one is gonna be a lot about their relationships that they, have, they go through great efforts to avoid abandonment, whether that's real abandon, abandonment or uh, perceived, they will, they will go through great efforts to avoid that. Um, They'll probably talk about their self-image and that it's unstable, they'll discuss that they're impulsive, Um, they recurrent suicidality or uh, behavior, gesturing threats, Um, they might have mood instability, uh, going from happy to upset very, very quickly, kind of similar to that, splitting, Um, feelings of emptiness.
0: I I see splitting as something very different. I I see splitting as almost a, it it feels like it's a momentary change in emotions and thoughts, right? Yeah. That, and don't, please don't consider me the expert here. Um, But the way I think about this is there seems to be a very rapid movement in emotions, right? It can happen very quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, something can be completely bad or something can be completely good very quickly. That ability to see goodness or levels of difficulty, it's gone. It's, it's replaced by extremes in, these, in seeing things. So, so when, I, when I think of that splitting, I think about that way of seeing the world in extremes. Yeah. Probably more than, than um, in terms of kind of what you were talking about.
1: I can see that. And I might break it up that way because I was memorizing for a shelf. Right, I'm thinking here's two criteria that are both kind of just extremes. Um, But you're probably right. That's a better way to look at that. Um, So with that, right, you have the anger, feelings of anger. And I think that's most of the criteria that you have five of them. But they're going to make it pretty obvious in
0: my experience. So you asked me an interesting question in preparation for this. You said, hey, I've never heard this statement before that borderline is this space between... Uh, sort of this space near psychosis, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember how I said it exactly. The, the article from the, the uh, which one is it? The big one, the 550 page article um, from the Cochrane Group described that and it was kind of cool. Yeah. They said that it was described in what, 1939, 38. 38? I oh, thought it was 8. I think you're right, by uh, Stern. Mm hmm didn't see what Stern's first name is, whether it's Dr. Stern, not Dr. Stern, just know that it's Stern, in the 30s, and he talked about this land, that the borderland between psychosis and neurosis, Mm -hmm. right, so between anxiety and paranoia, I guess, something along those lines, and that generally, uh, kind of the follow-up statement was that generally our patients with borderline personality disorder are able to test reality but it gets a little fuzzy sometimes. Is that kind of the way you understood that?
1: Yeah, that is how I how I understand it. And um, that really doesn't hold up today because we have a lot of patients that definitely have uh, schizophrenic... Uh, what's the term I learned today? So like uh, spectrum a spectrum disorder. schizophrenia spectrum disorder. They have some schizophrenic spectrum disorder and they have borderline. And by Stern's definitions, you would not... Have both of these at the same time. I think he would have put it. one or the other. They have delusions, hallucinations, you know, disorganized speech. It is that one, no matter what these other criteria say.
0: So borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia spectrum conditions. um, I, I think what you're saying maybe is that. There's some overlap at times yeah. that we see that there's comorbidity. Mm-hmm. You sent me an interesting article on prevalence and epidemiology yeah. of uh, borderline personality disorder. I didn't know this, Kay. right? This was completely new to me. <laughs> I was like, Jamin, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Let me see the data. And uh, what did I find?
1: <laughs> I think you agreed to some some degree so the the point prevalence is about 1.6 percent but the lifetime is almost six percent just shy of 5.9 um and something i've heard a lot of places including like pop culture is that this is a female diagnosis this was the part i was wrong about right (laughs) very very wrong about yeah but it, it the belief matches inpatient which is about three to one female for every one male Uh, borderline for inpatient settings now uh, but as far as prevalence outside these doors it's pretty similar between
0: male and female so so I even pulled out the DSM-4 right or DSM-5 I've got it right here I have it with my notepad of things I wanted to ask you and I just want to point out right here in big (laughs) letters yep it says 75% diagnosed in females right it does all right, so now we went back and chased that backwards just a little bit in mm-hmm. preparation, right? And it's a big
1: epidemiological study that said, no, it's about the same.
0: Yeah, I loved that study because it was interesting that this 75% number, it was actually 76% in the, the <laughs> article we found, and what they said was, we estimate it to be this, but gosh, we really need some structured interviews in this wide population sampling. Mm-hmm. And then, voila, a number of years later, uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, Bridget Grant, Dr. Bridget Grant, in a large sample. Let me see if I can peek at it here. Um, Face-to-face interviews with about 35,000 people, between 34,000 and 35,000 people. And they weren't looking at borderline personality, they were looking at substance misuse and associated conditions. And they were able to tease out the prevalence of uh, um, borderline personality disorder and They were looking for that as a comorbid condition, if I understand correctly.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's one that for the shelves, too, I believe, borderline, uh, those individuals that have borderline personality disorder have a higher rate
0: of substance use. Yeah, I saw that that in a couple of the areas in the information that you sent me. Um, In fact, there was the article on treatment of comorbid borderline personality disorder with uh, childhood sexual trauma, mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot of data regarding how that would be treated. You sent me an article, uh, read through that, um, methodologically it's difficult to do these studies and the author said, hey, this is a tough study to do and and uh, we still think that this is something that merits more explanation, this use of a trauma-informed study. Uh, CBT principles inside of the DBT modules where you, you use some of the emotional regulation tools to try and ensure that you can get through the challenges of what appears to be some exposure therapy. Although I I'm not sure I knew for sure at the end of the article.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I remember reading that article and I'm, I'm still fuzzy on it as well.
0: <laughs> I, I, uh, I think what they said though was that alcohol and drug misuse disorders were more common than PTSD in the setting of childhood sexual trauma and borderline personality disorder than was PTSD. I was amazed by that. Yeah. so we're, we are talking about a very comorbid condition.
1: Absolutely. And, and in the in the uh, teenage girls that I saw in this other facility, they pretty much had all, all of it right They had the abuse. They had the substance, they had um, nightmares, PTSD. They had all of these comorbidities. Of course, they were the ones that were at an inpatient facility, so I'd expect them to be more sick than.
0: than, than In, patient. In fact this study this study I just referenced a moment ago, um, they mentioned, hey, this is a, a tough process to go through tackling trauma in borderline personality disorder because of the behavioral dysregulation. And as a result, we do it in a a closed facility or in a residential facility so that there's um, a greater measure of safety there. Uh, Changing gears briefly to treatment. So we've talked about the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And I'm just gonna repeat one of the comments that I really, really like straight out of the DSM-5. The essential feature of borderline personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image, and affects, and marked impulsivity that begins in early adulthood and is present in a variety of conditions. I like that. That'll kind of, if you can remember that, you can remember the criteria largely, I think.
1: And I think that's how most people are going about the borderline personality disorder, is they kind of remember that guiding principle and you'll get the nine um, the nine criteria from those. So if you have that in the back of your mind and it's like, man, they're really painting me a picture of what you just read, you of, will get it.
0: Of interpersonal relational instability, of mm-hmm. uh, problems with self-affect and and affect of self-image and affective relations. Boy, <laughs> I'm just tripping all over myself. Before I stumble more, let's let's talk about treatment. So I was disheartened by the article you sent me.
1: It would be uh, hard to read that and be really excited,
0: yeah, I mean I don't I mean the I think the Cochrane group has this amazing ability to destroy anything they read right <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and, and I, I get it. I think we're all more hopeful for our intervention than than maybe we should be. We should be hopeful for science rather than our intervention, I suppose. Um, but boy, they they, they kind of roughed up psychotherapy.
1: They did. Uh, I think the best research in uh, the ones that met their criteria, they said had moderate um, validity, right? the way they'd set up their studies. And I think they only had one that they called moderate. The rest were all very
0: low. Yeah. So, so so I want to break this apart. There were two two studies that you sent me. One was a Cochrane review that. Yeah that seemed to be an update from 2017, and then there was the newer um, report, the 550-page one from uh, 2020. The first one essentially said, uh, hold on, let me see if I've got it here, it said, there's roughly 2,000 participants in all of the psychotherapies we looked at that have studies that are considered trials that we would say meet inclusion into a meta-analysis. And um, it looks like there's probably a publication uh, bias with these. Mm -hmm. And it looks like in addition to some sort of publication bias of the, what, 30 or so papers that they said met criteria, Mm -hmm. um, 20 of those were written by the people who developed the therapy. 15 of those articles had graduate students supervised by the person who developed the therapy and and I, I i guess it's the same criticism that anybody would have of a company that develops a pharmaceutical agent right okay well your company says it works there's a publication bias here a wish bias perhaps for mm-hmm. that phrase used um there's an uh, an author interest bias here it, it, this research suffers from some of the same problems that research with medication suffers from.
1: Absolutely um, and going to other sources trying to compare right is this really just uh, these individuals came up with this therapy and they're trying to prove they're right. Um, it does look I mean, a little bit scary that number needed to treat when using DBT is five.
0: So, so let's just talk about number needed to treat to get what outcome. So they talked about a group of, of outcomes like uh, self-harm.
1: Self-harm, using more medical resources, and uh, suicidality. And I think there was a couple other, but those were the big ones that you needed to treat five patients to get these to go down one.
0: Yeah, so anyway, the first article in 2017, I want to back up very quickly. Okay. Small effect size Muted by publication bias, I think, was what they said, which, ouch, and that was the group out of Romania, I think, that wrote that article, and that was Dr. Krista, not sure sure I know how to say her name right. Now, the the other thing that I noticed is that one of the cases that the authors made, I think, in both articles, both the review trials, or both of the meta-analysis papers that we read was, hey, it would be nice to see you guys publishing this stuff in trials.gov before you start. Did Did you see that or was I imagining that?
1: Um, I did not pick up on that.
0: Okay, so so I may have totally imagined that in my mind. Uh, next question then, um, when you're talking about the outcomes, the NNTs of mm-hmm. five to have a reduction in some of the morbidity of borderline personality disorder, I went through this paper and they break break it down into both continuous and discrete data sets, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I would be reading it would say there is no difference between psychotherapy at the end of treatment for continuous data, or it would say there's no evidence at the end of psychotherapy for discrete data, and discrete discontinuous, just discrete data points, right? So where you have either male or female versus yeah. uh, like scales, yeah, um, and then. Uh, Then they would say, um, and there's no effect at zero to six month follow-up, no effect at six month to one year follow-up, no effect at one year to two years for either the discrete or the continuous data sets. And, And I was amazed at how modest the effect was overall, but that they would conclude that generally while somebody's in treatment it seems like they benefit from these therapies. Yeah, based on low to medium quality evidence.
1: Yeah, and, and they're always comparing it to wait lists. Uh, at least not always, but for the most part, all of most of these articles are compared. We did something compared to nothing, and so it's hard to get a five year. I hope we're not taking a patient who has suicide ideation and waiting five years to to treat them. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't. I hope the wait lists weren't that long. Um, but I think it, probably the wait lists were like six months because I yeah. I think most of these therapies were somewhere between uh, twenty four weeks, probably to six months, visit twice a week. That that was kind of my impression of the kind of the range of studies.
1: Yeah, I was more bringing up the you know one of the problems in psychiatry is it's hard to do the studies they can do at Pfizer, I and mean, we just can't control all the variables the it's way they can. That. Yeah,
0: it's harder. Um, I, I want to. Kind of tie this up pretty quickly. Um, it looks like psychotherapies, and this included CBT for borderline personality disorder. This included DBT, and this also included um, mindfulness, which is more like a psychodynamic psychotherapy. Yeah. It looked like CBT probably does not work for borderline personality disorder, even though a lot of that is borrowed to make DBT, or some of it is borrowed to make DBT.
1: Yeah, I saw some studies that said they both work, but um, I think what I saw over and over was that DBT might work on one comorbidity or one piece of this puzzle, but not all of them. Right. So if you were looking at the suicidality, you were looking at um, self-harm, you were looking at Hospitalism, right? It seemed like DBT was more effective at all three, or at least some of. I mean, it might be more effective in one and equal on the other two, mm-hmm. and that's what the research kind of suggested to me that it does look like it's better. But I guess if all you had was CBT, that that would also help, just not as much. It maybe. looked like maybe not,
0: yeah so the meta-analysis said probably not right yeah and and the mindfulness is I think limited by small studies and, and that was that seems to be a, a a broad concern is that there are a fair number of small studies, um, a few larger studies, and not a lot of studies for anything but DBT at this point I think yeah
1: I think uh one I think it was Cochrane that said thirty percent of the studies have DBT in the title. So there's (laughs) definitely some bias
0: um, towards towards that. that. Interesting. Um, At the end of the day, the answer is DBT for psychotherapy if you're taking the shelf exam. And uh, it looks like maybe we'll come back and talk about, perhaps, uh, perhaps, Jamin, we'll come back and talk about treatment recommendations in the setting of very limited data, mm-hmm. right, or, or a lot of data that's not high quality with a modest effect size, small to modest effect size. Um, we'll talk about how organizations that are focused on treating this um, have generated recommendations to providers based on that evidence that is out there, the low to medium quality evidence, and uh, we'll see what you think about that. We'll have to do that at a later date, I think. Maybe not in the next six weeks. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. All right, so scratch all of that. The next topic will be what? Um,
1: I was thinking about doing some more on the personality disorder, so we'll see if uh, another one jumps out
0: at me. Okay. If it does, don't let it scare you too much. (laughs) Uh, Last thoughts? Um,
1: I guess if the... None of our treatments look that much better. At least we've got to do something. So.
0: So I got a, a younger brother that would say no. Oh, okay. Hey, do no harm. <laughs> Follow the well. data, right? So, so um, yeah, we feel compelled to do something. Yeah. It's days like this that I wish I had a statistician from the Cochrane Institute here to talk to us about. Hey, w- you know, when we're stuck and we know there's a problem that's hurting people. Yeah. And the data is. Um, relatively low quality, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, not, not the kind of high quality that we really want, right? It's not a randomized control trial, double-blinded with blinded reviewers and, and the whole nine yards. Um, when we don't get that and we get lower quality evidence that says generally this helps. Yeah. I, I mean, do you, do you jump on that? I think you probably do. Um, do you trust To the go copy? back to your no harm, Um,
1: I I take a little issue with that because actually the Hippocratic Oath doesn't say that. But we'll gloss past that for this. Um, (laughs) I didn't find any studies that said talk therapy was harming the patient, right? So I guess if I have low to medium evidence that I'm going to help and no evidence suggesting I'm going to harm, I think that's probably the right answer until we get a better answer.
0: Yeah, there's an interesting article my younger brother shared shared with me by uh, Isaac Asimov that was along the lines of more right, right? Uh, I'll, I'll have to share that with you. Yeah. And maybe that'll come up again. Because I, I, I kind of fall into the, the same area that you're talking about. Um, I was looking closely to the idea of harm caused by the psychotherapies. Okay. And in the, in the Cochrane review, there wasn't good evidence that no therapy was harmful, okay. nor that therapy was harmful in terms of death outcomes. But uh, it's hard to know if we're looking at the right negative outcomes in a therapy. Um, and it's, it sometimes gets fairly complicated to figure out what the harm might be from a therapy. Um, clearly somebody's coming for help, and I think w- what we're talking about here is making the best effort to find the best evidence for the best treatment for something that um, uh, seems to have some mortality risk about, some articles cite about 10% over the lifetime, right? that has uh, clearly uh, an effect on interpersonal relationships where people struggle to have meaningful relationships with people that are important to them and have uh, durable, long-standing relationships. And, and those things are very um, detrimental to the life process, right, to, to having a meaningful and fulfilled life. So, so on one hand, we have clearly the harm of the illness not acting, we have a sense of where that goes, not a complete sense, acting, we have some sense as well where it might go, and it looks like maybe as long as you can keep somebody in treatment, that might be a better route. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I I wish it were easier. I wish it were a little tighter. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I was hoping to find some slam dunk answers, but I did not (laughs) find
0: that. It's it's interesting to me because even (laughs) though there isn't a clear slam dunk answer, the shelf (laughs) exam would would tell tell you there is. is. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) So, um, uh, Thank you very much, Jamin. Uh, wonderful discussion. I uh, love the things you brought to me. And um, if you're feeling saucy, feel free to go on to the podcast site. Dump the links in. I will. To the articles and, and that you've included.
1: Uh, for any students listening, everything should be on the shared drive as well under... Uh, personality disorders and then under borderline personality disorder
0: good so we have a shared drive that's not used by anybody else it no, isn't access to outside it's mm-hmm. only the students while they're here and they are largely the same articles that are available through their library so we're not yeah. creating a new just for legal purposes yeah. we're not creating no. a, a bit no every, everything
1: there uh, is linked to Rocky Vista to the, the school that's that's what would have been a better way to phrase that these are all in a location that students should be able to get them the same way I got them
0: Correct. Very, very good. Yeah, yeah I, I just want to make sure we're not republishing yeah. data. No. Yeah, I don't want to. Don't no, I, I don't it's, want lawyer, It's linked there. Just in case somebody listens to this, that's a lawyer. I don't want them thinking that we're violating some laws here. <laughs> no. I, on that note, and thanks to uh, thanks to Jamin for putting this together and and creating a very interesting discussion. And uh, team out. <laughs> team out.